Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church Podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. For our scripture this morning, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you could turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19 is where we're going to be. Um, Usually for Easter Sunday, our text will be centered around the resurrection of Jesus. Because it's Easter. There are some Sundays where where the text, or the the day determines your text. Your text is determined by the day. Christmas time, we're going to probably talk about Luke 2. Easter, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And, and we're really excited about that. I, I've said to a few people, this is my favorite Sunday to preach. That, that I love to preach Easter Sunday. This is my fa- If I ever had to give up preaching and I, they said you can only pick one day, it would be today. I love Easter Sunday. And, and today, um, we're actually, as much as I say we're going to be looking at the resurrection of Jesus, that's not where we're going to start this morning. Um, Because we're actually going to continue, oh, if you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, um, we've been looking at the words that Jesus spoke from the cross. As Jesus was dying on the cross, what are the things he said? What were his last words? And this morning, we're actually going to continue that. We're going to pick up with the last words of Jesus recorded in, uh, in John chapter 19, and then we'll turn our focus to the resurrection. But there's something that I think is so profoundly important that we see as it relates to the resurrection of Jesus in Jesus' last words in John chapter 19. There's actually seven phrases that Jesus spoke from the cross. So far, we've looked at four of them. We're not going to take a look at the other two, just for time's sake. But today, we're going we're to look at what, according to John, were the last words that Jesus spoke. But if you're, if you're new to our church, and if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad to have you here with us. But if you're new to our church, or if you haven't been along for the journey with us, I, I just want to give you a reminder of how we get to today. How do we get to Easter Sunday? Well, at the height of his ministry and of his work, many people were coming to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And they were beginning to to change the way they believed to change the way they acted, to change the way they understood God and understood religion and understood how all of the mechanics of those things worked. And the Jewish leaders, the religious establishment, didn't like that. They didn't didn't like Jesus because he was growing in followers and his followers weren't doing things the way they were supposed to. And they weren't doing things the way that the religious establishment had said, this is how this is supposed to go. This is the rules you're supposed to follow. And they didn't like the influence that he was having in the culture. And so with the help of Judas Iscariot, who was one of Jesus' closest 12 disciples, they were able to, Judas, Judas became willing to betray Jesus and, and the, the religious establishment, with the help of Judas, they, they were able to get Jesus arrested. And he was put on trial for being king of the Jews. 
Now, that was never Jesus' claim. Jesus didn't claim that he was coming to establish a kingdom here on earth. Jesus didn't claim that he was the king of the Jews sent to free the Israelites from Roman captivity. But that was the charge that was leveled against him. And that was important because according to Roman law, the punishment for rebellion against the king was death by crucifixion. And so when they were able to get a, a, a charge against Jesus that said, you have been leading a rebellion, if he's found guilty, he dies. Now, the Roman governor was a man named Pontius Pilate, and he was reluctant to dole out punishment towards Jesus because he couldn't fully wrap his mind around what exactly it was that Jesus had done that was wrong. Because as he looked at the charges that were placed against him, he, he saw and he knew he's not leading a rebellion. He's not trying to, to free these people from Rome. But yet he wanted to give the people what they wanted because the public pressure was so great. Because the public had turned and they wanted Jesus to be punished for this crime. And, and they shouted outside the gates of Pilate's house, crucify him, crucify him. And there was thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And so Pilate decides to give the people what they want. Now, Pilate washes his hands in front of the mob, symbolizing that, that he's not taking responsibility for the bloodshed. He, he washes his hands. He says, you do with him what you will, but it's not on me. But he still hands Pilate over, or sorry, he still hands Jesus over to this mob. And Jesus is beaten a crown of thorns is placed on his head and he's made to carry his cross through the streets of Jerusalem to the hill where he would be crucified. The location of Jesus' crucifixion is known as Calvary. Now as a kid growing up in Airdrie, that always was kind of weird because we lived next to Calgary. And so when people, Jesus was killed on Calvary. And a, like just over here? Really? That seems weird. Didn't he live like in Israel? How did they get over here? But Jesus was killed on Calvary, which is translated from a place of the skull. You might also hear the term Golgotha. Now, crowds had gathered, some to mourn, but far more to watch and to ridicule and to mock Jesus. Jesus was nailed to the cross between two criminals. And while Jesus is hanging on the cross, being mocked by those dying with him, being mocked by the crowd that's gathered, being mocked by the Roman soldiers, being mocked by so many, we see this moment where Jesus looks up to heaven and he prays and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then one of the criminals who's, who's justly sentenced to die, and even in his own words, he's justly sentenced to die with Jesus, turns to Jesus as they're both being crucified, both hanging on a cross. And he turns to Jesus and he says, remember me when you go into your kingdom. 
And in this moment where Jesus has just prayed for forgiveness, we, we see the forgiveness heart of God. And then to this thief, we see the mercy and the grace of Jesus when he says, remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus looks at this cross or at this criminal sentenced to die on a cross justly. And he turns to him and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. And we understand what the Bible means when it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And Jesus quotes Psalm 22 saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he lets all the people gathered that day understand who Jesus was and what it was that's happening in this moment. And that brings us to where we are today. And we're going to pick up the story in in John chapter 19, starting at verse 28, where it will say this. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, the crucifixion of Jesus fulfilled countless Old Testament prophecies. In fact, we we could have a time spent where all we did was read the prophecies from the Old Testament that Jesus was fulfilling. And so later knowing, as he hung on the cross, knowing that it had now been finished and so scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. We talked about that last week. Verse 29 will say, a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Then we come to verse 30. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We're going to begin by looking at Jesus' last words in the book of John. It is finished. Now, we need to understand that these words were not the despairing cry of a helpless martyr. It wasn't even an expression of relief that finally all of the physical suffering was over, that he was grateful that death had come. It wasn't even the last gasp of a worn-out life. Jesus did not say, I am finished. That would mean that he died defeated and exhausted. But instead we read that he cried out, It is finished. Meaning in this moment, he completed the work that he came to do. Now, it is finished is the English translation of the Greek word tetelastai. And we're going to unpack this word for a moment. Because there's two things that we need to understand about this word. Because it gives us some real deep context into what Jesus was saying. First, this, the word tetelastai comes from the verb tello, which means to bring to an end to complete or to accomplish. Now, this is important because what we have to understand about this word is that it signifies the successful end to a particular course of action. 
It's not the kind of word that you use when you just happen to finish something. It's the kind of word that you use when you accomplish what you set out to do. It's the kind of word that you would say once you got to the top of Mount Everest. And you would say, I have completed this. It's, it's the word you would use when you turn in the final copy of your dissertation. It's the word that you would use when you make the final payment on your new car. It's the word that you would use when you cross the finish line of the, your first 10K run. It doesn't just simply mean I made it to the end or I survived or look what turned out happening. If you're at the top of Mount Everest, you got there by planning. You didn't just go for a walk one day and then look around and go, how did I end up here? For most of us, if we were to go for a run this afternoon, we're not going to all of a sudden look around and go, wow, I just did 10K. Now, now maybe if you're Maria, but, but for the rest of us, if we were going to go run 10 kilometers today, it would take some significant planning, some significant forethought, some significant... And so when we completed it, it's not just a sense of, oh, I just... Look, look what happened. But it's, I made a plan, I executed the plan, and the plan is finished. It means I did exactly what I set out to do. This was my goal, and I did it. But there's a second part of understanding to, of this verb itself, and, and it gets a little technical, but bear with me. I said in the first service, this is where, where Shannon is, is great, because if anybody's going to appreciate this, it's our retired English teacher, who understands far more about this than, than I do. And, but, but, tetelasti is the perfect tense in Greek. And what that means is it doesn't just mean perfect because it's the word of God and it's perfect. What it means is that it speaks to an action which has been completed in the past, but the results still continue to the present. And so what that means is, is it's different from the past tense, which, which looks back at an event and said, that happened. But the perfect tense adds the idea, it's still happening today. So if I was to say, I married my wife, Yvonne. The, the married part of it gives you an idea that it happened in the past. But the effects of it are still happening today. That just because our marriage happened in the past doesn't mean that the, the entire effects of it stayed in the past. It means that even today I'm still married to her, but I married her in 2007 but it still continues today. If I was to say my son was born in 2010, that doesn't mean that all that happened in his life was contained to that moment, but he's still with us today. And so there, it happened in the past, but the effects are still continuing today. When Jesus cried out, it is finished, he meant it was finished in the past, it's still finished in the present, and it will still be finished in the future. When Jesus spoke the words, it is finished, we can understand that the great promise of God or the great purpose of God coming to save mankind through Jesus Christ was now accomplished. And the cross was to make this possible and to make this actual. 
It was the declaration on the part of our divine Redeemer that all for which he had come from heaven to earth to do was now done. That all that was needed for the full character of God to be revealed had now been accomplished. That all that was required by the law for sinners to be saved had now been performed. That the full price of our redemption was now paid. And so, why are we spending so much time on Easter Sunday looking at the part before Jesus died? Why are we spending so much time looking, on the, looking at the last words of Jesus before he died rather than talking about what happened after Jesus died? And the reason for that is because I believe that it's important that we understand that in Jesus' last words, he tells us that he did everything he set out to accomplish. But that it wasn't just for then. It wasn't just for that moment. It wasn't just at that moment there was a restart and everything was set right and everything was set just the way it needed to be. But then it descended into chaos again. It wasn't just for then. But Jesus got the last word then. And Jesus gets the last word today. We looked at Jesus' last words on his life. But Jesus also gets the last word on our lives. So my question for us this morning is what words are you living under? What, what words shape your life? What words shape how you see yourself? If you were to describe yourself in a few words, what words would those be? Because if the words that you would use to describe yourself, the words that you would use to define your life, the words that you would say, this is who I am, if those words are not the words of Jesus, then we need to look for some new words. Because Jesus gets the last word on your life. If the words that you're living under are not the words of Jesus, then it's not the last word. Because Jesus gets the last word. So what words do you think define your life? Sickness? Abandonment? Anger? Violence? Addiction? Abuse? Childlessness? Despairing signalness? What words do you think define your life? What words have people spoken over your lives? You're lazy. You're stupid. You're worthless. You're a failure. You're broken. What words have people spoken over your life that have come to become part of who you are? You're guilty. You should be full of shame. You are bad. You are not right. You are wrong. What words have been spoken over your life that have shaped who you are? But the truth is, Jesus gets the last word on your life. And Jesus will say to us today and say to you every day, let me tell you the truth about who you are. 
The last word over you is the words I speak over you. It's not the words that you speak over yourself. And it's not the words that other people have spoken over you. The last word that is spoken over you is that in the death of Jesus, as Colossians chapter 1 tells us, that through Jesus' death, we are presented holy in his sight. Without blemish and free from accusation. And so in your life, if you're, the words that you live under are, are words that condemn you, or words that make you feel guilty, or words that make you feel shame, that as you look and you say, I, I am not holy. I, I am one big blemish. And the list of accusations is so long, it's not a list, it's a book. If these are the words that you're living under, you need to know today that those words don't get the last word. But when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, it was finished then and it's finished today. And so my friends, through the work of Jesus on the cross, you stand holy without blemish and no one can bring an accusation against you. Because it was finished, it is finished, and it will be finished. Now there's one thing we need to talk about today. One, one more thing we still have to talk about. Which ties all of this together. Because when Jesus said it is finished... That wasn't the end of the story of Jesus. Jesus wasn't saying, my part in this story is complete, I'm done. We, we need to talk about the resurrection. It's Easter Sunday. And while the, it's true that the work on the cross paid the price in full, which is what led Jesus to say it is finished, friends, it's the resurrection that seals the deal. When Jesus rose from the dead, he demonstrated that he was Lord over sin, over death, and the grave. His resurrection proved that Jesus was who he said he was. It is the resurrection that gives us hope of eternal life. Because he lives, we will live also. His resurrection sets the stage so that we can believe in him and it's why we can have hope in him. See, anyone can die. The miraculous thing about Jesus' life isn't that he died. That's not the miraculous thing about any of our lives. We're all going to die one day. The miraculous part of Jesus' life isn't even that he died for you and me. The miraculous part of Jesus' life is that he died and defeated death. He died uh, and he was, you can clap, please go right ahead. He, he died and he was resurrected and he came back to life and showed that he was more than just someone who died. But that he was God incarnate. Because Jesus is a risen savior, we can confidently trust in him knowing that our sins are forgiven because of the cross and our eternal life is secured because of the resurrection. See, the work is really finished. It really is. 
This means our salvation, our redemption, and our eternal life. They're complete and sealed in Christ forever. This provides us with a hope in Christ that's not just for this life. It's not just that your sins that you've committed, they're, they're taken care of and you get a fresh start. It's not just that today is, is a day where God can restart your life. And it, it's not even just that God has, has, has grace for your sins that you'll commit tomorrow. It's that for now and for eternity, we can have confidence in who we are. We can have confidence in what Christ does. We, we can rejoice today because no matter what happens in this life, we can live with the certainty that the work is finished. Your salvation is forever secure because of it. On a hill far away. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family. And that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on contact us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on our pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know his hope, know his purpose, and know his power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. Tell my trophies at last I lay down. I will Stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. On that old rugged cross, Jesus suffered and died to pardon and save.